Now, there are two things that you're always going to see in a healthy marriage. Two things. Number one is a wedding ceremony. Number two is a wedding anniversary. Now, I know our idea of wedding is changing in our culture, and there are different opinions, and especially during the pandemic, not many people were able to do uh, a, a ceremony in a way that's traditional. But if you look at a healthy marriage, there's always a start point, a beginning point, where two people come together, stand before the Lord, and they say, I commit myself to the ways of the Lord, and I commit myself to love the other person for the rest of my life. So you make a lifelong commitment to honor God and to love your spouse in the beautiful covenant of marriage. And in a healthy marriage, you will also expect to see um, a healthy celebration of that wedding, uh, especially through the anniversary. Now, we know what happens when you forget your anniversary. Like, if you are married and you forget your anniversary, uh, bad things happen, and it's because it's a special day. It's, it's a day that points back to the day of your wedding. You have this special day out of the entire year to remember the moment that you got married, the significance of your marriage, to rejoice in the fact that you are not alone, but you have a partner, a spouse, someone who you can do life together, to love Christ together. It's also a time where you, you tend to examine your own marriage, right? If you've been um, kind of slacking in your responsibilities as a husband, as a wife, that wedding anniversary helps you to remember what's important in your life and to remember that you have this responsibility, a God-given responsibility to do things for the glory of God, to love your spouse in a Christ-like manner. So it helps you refocus. And in a healthy marriage, you would expect to see both. A beginning point a wedding ceremony, but also a constant celebration of that start. Same is true within the church life. There are two ordinances. That's a big word, but it simply means it's a practice that the Lord has given to us that ought to be celebrated in the same way that we celebrate a wedding ceremony and also our wedding anniversary. Two things that we ought to do as believers, two things that we ought to do as a local church as a regular practice in order to remember the Lord. It is baptism, and then it is the Lord's Supper. Those are two things that the Bible tells us. These are things that we ought to do on a regular basis. Now, we know from Acts chapter 2, we studied this passage just last week, when the Holy Spirit came down and, and the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to preach the gospel in a very powerful and bold way, when you have the Spirit of God working, when you have the Word of God being proclaimed, and people are listening to the gospel, the result is that there, are, there were 3,000 people on one day that were saved, and their lives were forever changed by the gospel. But if you read the rest of the story, what happens is immediately, the next thing that happens is people are baptized. 3,000 people were not just believing in Jesus, they were baptized. They're being baptized in the name of Jesus. They were making their faith public. They're publicly declaring their, their faith and their walk in Jesus Christ. And then you see the birth of the church. The New Testament church begins to gather. 
And one of the few things that are mentioned is the breaking of the bread. So people devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship of the believers, but also to the breaking of the bread that is pointing to the Lord's Supper. So baptism and the Lord's Supper exist from the very beginning of the birth of the church, and it has been and will always be the two ordinances, the two ways that we celebrate all that Christ has done for us. It should be a regular practice of the local church. It should be a regular part of the believer's life. Baptism is a one-time event that you make a commitment to the Lord and to the body of Christ. You are basically saying that I now understand the gospel and I want to give my life and do life with Jesus uh, from here on out. So it's like this wedding ceremony that you have and the Lord's Supper is what you take on a regular basis. It's something that you do over and over again to remember the moment that you have given your life to Jesus, to celebrate the fact that you are a new creation in Christ. And so what we do here is quite significant. The reason why we celebrate the Lord's Supper is not because we want to spice things up every now and then, right? We feel like it is quite cool to drink out of this small plastic container. Uh, I always wonder uh, when I go to places, is it wine or is it grape juice, right? That's like a big question that I always have. Uh, And this strange looking, kind of cracker looking bread, uh, what's this all about? We're not just doing this because we feel like we should try to get people engaged into the message, try to do something new and, and fun. No, we do this because this is something that was commanded to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? Look at verse 23. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. So the Lord's Supper brings us all the way back to the Last Supper. It's deeply connected to the last meal that Jesus had before he died on the cross. The night he was betrayed. It was a time where the people of Israel gathered together and they were celebrating the biggest feast of the year, the Passover. It was a week-long feast. And the climax of this festival was that in each family, they would gather in front of a table and they would share a meal together called the Passover meal. And the reason why they shared this meal traditionally was because during this Passover meal, normally the father would would ask one of the children, so what is the meaning of this meal? Why do we celebrate this day today? Why is this meal more special than any other meal that we normally share? And one of the children hopefully would answer, well, it's because what God has done for us back in Exodus. And then you would have a story time going back all the way to Exodus when the people of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed under the rule of Pharaoh. And by God's grace, when they were crying out to the Lord, God sent Moses. And through Moses, God delivered his people. This meal reminded them of the 10 plagues, how God was willing to judge the evil in Egypt, that he, he was willing to judge the people who were rebellious against him. And the last plague was the plague of, of the angel of death. God said, I'm going to send, send my very presence, and I'm going to judge the land of Egypt. And, and I'm going to enter into every household with the angel of death. And so it was his rightful judgment against sinful people. And at the same time, God provided a way for the people of Israel and anyone who were to believe. He said, there's one way that you can escape this judgment. 
It's not by trying harder to be a better person, but you have to believe in my provision. You have to trust my word. You have to trust my plan. You have to execute in a way that you believe in this lamb, this Passover lamb. What the people did was they shared a meal together, an unblemished lamb. They brought it together and they, sh- they ate this lamb and they took the blood of this lamb and they put it on the doorposts. And, and, and so that when night came and when the angel of the Lord came, came all over Egypt, the people who had the blood of the lamb were saved. So that was a traditional way of explaining the Passover. And so Jesus, he takes this piece of bread, and you're expecting him to give a speech about the Passover, and yet he gives a, puts a twist on it. He doesn't explain the Passover in the traditional way. He says in Luke 22, verse 19 and 20, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, Do this in remembrance of me. And in verse 20, it says, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So instead of pointing all the way back to the events of of Exodus, Jesus says, Well, the fulfillment of the Passover, the fulfillment of all those events that took place back in Egypt is, is me. That, that's simply an event that's pointing to me. And John the Baptist knew this. And that's why he said in John 1, 29, when he saw Jesus walking, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was, was pointing to the fact that this, this meal, the Passover meal that was being celebrated by, by his people, yes, it was a great meal that reminded people of salvation back in Egypt, but the ultimate gift of salvation comes not through an animal, but through a person. And he was saying that it is my blood, it is my flesh that is poured out for you. And so the, the Lord's Supper is something that points back to the Last Supper, which is something that points back to the Passover meal. And so there's a lot of connections right there. So that's kind of um, a background uh, for, for our understanding for the Lord's Supper. So what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? What was Jesus intending when he said, this is my blood and this is my body? And what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? There's two ways that most people take the meaning of the Lord's Supper. One way is uh, the Roman Catholic Church and some other denominations. They would say that the elements that we take, the, the cup, the bread, those are physically, literally a representation of, 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 of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Like the moment that you, you enter into the Lord's Supper, there is this thing that takes place, this supernatural, supernatural event that takes place that literally Jesus is, 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 is dwelling in the bread and, and the cup. And so when you drink of these elements, when you take of these elements, you are taking the literal body and the blood of Jesus. And so it is central that you participate in the Lord's Supper. Actually, for the longest time, only priests were able to participate because they thought that this was too holy of a thing. And these elements, when they enter into your system, they believe that because literally the body and the blood of Jesus is entering you, it grants you salvation. So there was, there was a very literal understanding of the Lord's Supper. But when the Reformation took place, one of the things that came out was that, no, this is not a literal representation of, of the body and the blood of Jesus, but it, it's a reflection. It's a symbol, a sign that points us to a deeper meaning, meaning back in the Last Supper. So instead of us believing that this is literally the 
blood and the body of Jesus and that we are taking his little body and his flesh. No, we believe that it's the significance that matters. It's the meaning that matters. In John 6, Jesus actually told the people, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And when people heard this message, they, they, they thought it was really weird. They thought this, this was like, you know, it's, it's, it's Jesus encouraging cannibalism. What does he mean when he says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? And even the disciples were confused. So later on, they asked a question, and Jesus explains to his disciples, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the spirit and the life. So even Jesus clarified that it's not the literal body and the literal flesh, but it's the meaning behind these things. It is the spirit that gives life. When you take the Lord's Supper in a literal way and you believe that it has saving power, what you're doing is you're altering the gospel. Because all throughout the Bible, Jesus reminds us that we are saved by grace, not by works or a sacrament. We also know that when Jesus hold up the cup and he hold up the bread, his literal body and his, his blood was there. Like his blood was running through his veins. So it's quite weird that he would say, this is my body, this is my cup, when reality right in front of the disciples, there was the body and the blood of Jesus. And so we take this more in a symbolic way. That's, I believe, is the more biblical way to understand the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic meal that gives us a picture of salvation. It points to a greater reality. It reminds us that in Jesus Christ, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we partake in his life. So I just want to clarify that because that's a very common misunderstanding, thinking that this somehow is magical. Um, Just like we don't believe that the water, when we use in baptism, is magical, we don't believe that these elements are magical. We simply believe that this points us to a greater reality, the gift of salvation that Jesus offers in faith, through, through faith in grace. So when should the Lord's Supper take place? That's the next question. When do we do this? Uh, It says in verse 25, towards the end, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I have seen in the past, uh, sometimes in a youth retreat, where people would do the Lord's Supper, just like you would do washing of the feet, you would do the Lord's Supper together. Sometimes people do this at their wedding uh, because they want to kind of celebrate the fact that the two have become one. But the Bible makes it very, very clear that, that, that you do this when you gather together as, as believers. And how often is often? Uh, well, some people would say that every Sunday you ought to partake in the Lord's Supper. Some people would say, well, you know, every couple weeks or maybe every month you would want to partake in the Lord's Supper. But notice when it says as often, it's highlighting the fact that this is not just a special occasion or something that you should do uh, on a special day, but this should be a regular part of your Christian life. That's what it's saying. And so for us as a church, we believe that you know, once a month, it helps us to remember on a regular basis what the Lord has done for us. At the same time, uh, if we can do it more often, I think that would be great. One drawback from doing it so often is sometimes we forget the meaning uh, of, of, of the, the, the table. And so we just feel like it's not a magical formula. We just feel like one month is a healthy way to regularly remember all that the Lord has done. So do it as often as you can until the Lord returns. That's when we should do the Lord's Supper. Now, who should participate in the Lord's Supper? This is where things get quite interesting. 
If you go back just one chapter, and hopefully you have your Bible open, if you go to chapter 10, verse 16, now, this was a big deal in the Corinthian church. You can see that Paul has been addressing this for quite a while. And it says in chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless is not... is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So the word participation, that's the Greek word, uh, koinonia, which means uh, to have fellowship, which means to be close in relationship. It's talking about this intimate relationship that you will have with someone else. It's this level where you are doing life together, sharing life with one another. It would would be a word that you would use between a husband and a wife. So what is the Bible saying? Paul is saying that when you take of the bread and you eat of the drink of the cup, you are participating, you are having fellowship with the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. By the way, this is why we use the word communion sometimes for the Lord's Supper. It means that we have this common union. It means that we are uniting with Jesus Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are making a statement that we are deeply in love with Jesus and we are intimately connected with Jesus to the point that we are basically one, that Christ lives in us, that we die to ourselves, and it is Christ who now lives in us. There is this sense of communion that takes place during the Lord's Supper. It reminds us that in salvation, not only do we receive the gift where we could be in heaven, but we can be with God, and we can have this intimate relationship with God. Notice that the Lord's Supper is a gracious invitation, Jesus saying that I make myself available to you. If you drink of my uh, body, if you drink of my blood, if this is something that is a part of your life, then you can have me. That's what he's saying. But there's more. So communion takes place between us and Jesus, but look at verse 17 in chapter 10. It says this, because there is one bread, We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So when Jesus says, my body, obviously he's alluding to his flesh, his body, but in verse 17, it also alluding to the body of Christ, which is the church. There are many who are, many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So when we partake in communion, when we come together and celebrate the Lord's table together, what we're doing is we're not just saying that we are one with Jesus, we're saying that we are one with the rest of the body. So it's, it's our statement, it's our proclamation saying that we have communion with Jesus and we have communion with one another in the body of Christ. So who should partake in the Lord's Supper? It should be a believer, a genuine believer has regenerated faith, who has saving faith in Jesus Christ. Someone who, who believes in Jesus, who follows Jesus to the point where they believe that, that their life is one with Jesus. It's someone who is also committed to the local church, who, say, who would say that I have communion with the local church. And so to give some practical, clear guidelines, uh, I mean, I think it is helpful uh, to think in this way. If you are not ready to get baptized, if you are hesitant to get baptized, if for some reason um, you are kind of iffy about getting baptized, I think it's the best practice for you to hold off on partaking the Lord's Supper until you are ready, until you have that confidence, simply because it's kind of like having a wedding anniversary without a ceremony. Right? And so it makes sense that you begin with a ceremony and you would celebrate your anniversary. 
It also means that maybe if you are hesitant to commit to a local church, if you are not part of the local church membership, that's another thing that you have to think about. That if you are hesitant for whatever reason, that you can't confidently say that I am one with this church, and you go through the process where you unite with the church in theology, in, in, in mission, that you're not on the same page with everyone else. Again, I'll probably say that it's probably a wise thing to hold back until you can confidently say that I can proclaim that I am one, not just with Christ, but with the body of Christ. And so those are some practical ways. Now, I understand also in practice that we offer baptism once a year here at Shine Star. I hope that we can do it more often. I also understand that membership classes take place about two to three times a year. And that's one reason why we don't simply say that, okay, there's a hard stop when it comes to those who can participate. Some churches do that. But I think it's just a good ground of rule. If you are hesitant to get baptized for whatever reason, if you are hesitant to pursue membership, then it's probably a wiser thing to just simply observe what's taking place during the Lord's Supper until you are ready to make that statement publicly. So who should participate in the Lord's Supper? Those who are genuine believers, who are one with Christ and also one with the local church. Now, where should this take place? We talked about this briefly, but I believe that it should take place within the context of the local church, although it could happen in weddings or some people do it at retreats. We see throughout uh, 1 Corinthians that whenever this issue is being addressed, he's talking about a moment when people are coming together as a church. It says in verse 18, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there is division among you. And the problem that's causing division is the table how people ought to approach the Lord's Supper. And so this issue is being created when people are gathered together as a church. It also says in verse 33 in chapter 11, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. Now understand that sometimes you miss breakfast, and it is really hard to sit through a one-hour service. And you get hungry. Your stomach is, 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 is making noises. And there is some, a, a cup of juice in front of you, and you have an opportunity to take a cracker. I know it's tempting to go for it, right? But what the Bible says clearly is, if you are hungry, eat at home. right? Make sure you, get, you eat at home. Hunger should not be the driving factor for you to participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, but rather, this is something that happens as a body uh, in the context of the local church. So that's where it should take place. As much as I, I think it has meaning in different places, I think the Lord reminds us that this is something that's reserved for the entire body of Christ. And that's why a couple years ago, we stopped doing the Lord's Supper just simply with the youth. Uh, I think a lot of times we, we, when we do it just with the youth, although there are people who are, have genuine faith, who follow Jesus with baptism, I think it was just sending just a mixed message. Uh, and so uh, one reason why we want to do this together when adults are present too is to remind everyone that this is something that we do together as a local church. Now, we do have limitations in space. That's why we can't do it all together in one place. But instead, as a church, our Korean congregation, our Chinese congregation does it on the same day. So we do it in unity with the rest of the church. So we talked about a lot of different things. What is the Lord's Supper? When should we do it? Uh, Where should we do it? Uh, Who should participate in it? And now all I have left is how. Okay, now that we have clarity in different things, how do we approach the table of the Lord? I have, I have four things. Number one is this. We approach the table remembering Jesus. 
we approach the table remembering Jesus. It says in verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. For the Lord uh, Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. So we are remembering all that Christ has done on the cross. We are remembering also the moment that we have given our lives to Jesus, believing in the message of the gospel. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the significance of the death of Jesus in our life. We're also remembering that we now have unity with Jesus and also unity with the rest of the body of Christ, which is the local church. So remembering is a big, big part. And Jesus is not saying, just saying, remember all the different events that took place. When I celebrate my anniversary, I don't go to my wife and say, well, I'm so glad that we had uh, this type of meal. I'm so glad that so-and-so-and-so showed up. I'm so glad that this is a dress that you wore and this is a song that played. I honestly don't remember a lot of details about my wedding. Uh, but I do remember the significance of it. I do remember what it meant before the Lord and what before uh, the congregation. I remember the commitment that I made that I was asking God for grace upon grace, saying that, God, I have no idea how I'm going to walk with this lady right next to me, but I need your grace, so help me to be faithful for the rest of my life. And so when the Lord tells us to remember, he's not just talking about remembering specific events and recounting different um, incidents in the narrative of the crucifixion. He's saying, remember even the significance of everything that took place. Remember that Jesus, his body was broken for you. Remember that through his death that you have new life. It is through his, his resurrection that you can enjoy all that God has to offer. So remember, remember, remember. Number two is this. When we take of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim Jesus. Not only do we remember Jesus, we proclaim Jesus. Look at verse 26. It says this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So not only do you remember, but you proclaim. You're making a statement. You're publicly saying when you get up from your seat and you walk down this aisle and you partake of these elements and when you share on these elements with the rest of the body of Christ, you are proclaiming all that Christ has done for your life. And so this proclamation is a central part of, of the Lord's table. You are remembering that all that Jesus has done for you is not just for you, but it's worthy of proclamation. That through the rest of your life, not only are you going to keep that good news to yourself, but you're going to proclaim it to everyone whenever you have a chance that you want to make sure people know about this good news. Now, some people might say, if the Lord's Supper is reserved for genuine Christians, born-again believers, if the Lord's Supper should only be for those who are in Christ and those who are part of the body of Christ, why in the world do we do the Lord's Supper during some Sunday service? We should do it during membership meetings. And, okay, I kind of understand where you're coming from, but the Bible makes it clear, although those who partake in the Lord's Supper should be genuine believers who have saving faith in Jesus Christ and who have unity with Christ and the body of Christ, it doesn't mean that those who don't have that faith can't be present. Because when we proclaim our faith through the Lord's Supper, what we're hoping is that those who don't have that faith, those who are iffy about that commitment, 
would be motivated, would be invited to this table. They would see the joy that runs through our eyes. They, they would see the celebration that is taking place. They would see how we are cherishing every bit of what Jesus has done for our lives. And we're hoping that that would send a message, just like we do baptism publicly so that people can see a clear picture of the gospel. We hope that people will see a clear picture of what Jesus has done for us through the Lord's Supper. So every time you are coming to this table in the right manner, you are making a statement, a proclamation uh, on behalf of the Lord. So the Lord's Supper is a gracious invitation for those who don't believe. A gracious invitation. It's not trying to separate people. It's actually inviting people, saying that Christ has made himself available to you. So come and take. Make a decision to follow him. So we proclaim his death when? Until he returns. So you're not going to do the Lord's Supper in heaven because in heaven, you are finally going to be with the Lord 24-7, that you're going to have this endless celebration with him. And so we proclaim the, the, uh, of all that Jesus has done uh, for us through the Lord's Supper. Number three, as we take in the Lord's Supper, we reflect on our lives. We reflect on our lives. The Lord's Supper is about reflection and self-examination. Verse 27 says this, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Notice that the issue is not you being unworthy. The Bible is saying, don't approach the table. It doesn't say, don't approach the table if you're unworthy. If that's the case, no one should approach the table. The Bible is saying, don't approach the table in an unworthy manner. So what is an unworthy manner? An unworthy manner is making little of what Jesus has done and making little of Jesus' commandment. An unworthy manner is you coming to the table and you proclaiming that I believe that all that Jesus has done for me, I unite with Jesus, I'm united with the church, and yet inside of your heart you have this hidden sin. That you're living a life in sin and yet by taking the elements you're saying that I believe that Jesus has forgiven my sins. That's taking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. When you approach the table with bitterness, you are so bitter and ungrateful about your life, all the hardships of your life, And yet you are coming to the table and you're saying, well, I'm thankful that all that Jesus has done for my life. It's sending a mixed message, right? And so you're approaching the table in an unworthy manner. As you're approaching the table, you're reminding yourself, man, I have every reason to be grateful and thankful in my life. And so let me move away from my bitterness. If you're approaching the table with unforgiveness, the cross reminds you that Jesus has forgiven you, not because you are a good person, because even though you are dead in your trespasses and sins, Jesus was willing to die for you on your behalf, even when you were an enemy of the Lord. And therefore, because I have received this forgiveness in Jesus Christ, I can forgive others as well. Let me make sure I, I extend a hand for, for those who have, have yet to forgive. Um, let me make right um, what is wrong. And so... Approaching the table in an unworthy manner is simply you stating the gospel, but not living out the gospel. So how do we live and approach the table in a worthy manner? It says in verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Notice the invitation is to come to the table, not trying to keep you away from the table. Hopefully, after examining yourself, after getting right with God and with others, you would approach the table. It says in verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So the Bible says that it is a scary thing for you to approach the table in an unworthy manner. How scary? It says in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now, that's an extreme statement. 
And the Bible is not saying your illness, that your weakness is simply a result of you approaching the table in an unworthy manner. That's not what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is this. God is holy, that he dwells in unapproachable light. And if you come in your sinful heart, and when God's holiness meets your sinfulness, things could happen in different ways. And what the Bible is communicating to us is this is a serious manner. That God, his holiness is a serious manner. Now, to what extent uh, is this true? I, I, I truly believe that to some degree that this was practically true. You see this all through the Old Testament, that God, when people try to approach his holiness with an unho- no, unholy manner, that they experience God's judgment. But notice in verse 32, I love this, says this, uh, verse 31 and 32, but if we judged ourselves truly, if, after we examined our hearts, we would not be judged. If we repent of our sins, if we come with a worthy manner, we will not be judged, that we will be free from God's judgment. It says in verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What God is trying to do is this. He doesn't want us to be judged. And even when he does give discipline, it's for our sake. He's trying to correct us, encourage us to walk in his ways. And so understand the heart of the Lord when he's inviting you to his table. And I I love when people, by the way, invite me to meals. Like it's a sign of fellowship. It's a sign that I like you and I want to be with you and you are part of this family. And what Jesus is doing is this. He wants you. He wants to share a meal with you. That's why it was a big deal when Jesus shared a meal with sinners and, and tax collectors and all the people who are quote unquote unrighteous in the New Testament. You just study all the tables that Jesus shared with those people because the, the religious people, the Pharisees, were only wanting to share the table with those who were considered righteous. And yet Jesus, out of grace, out of mercy, extends this invitation. He says, come, let's do life together. You can be part of this. And so the last thing that we do as we partake in the Lord's uh, Supper is this, we celebrate, we rejoice. Sometimes the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist, which means in Greek, um, simply joy. It means to rejoice. And so it's a celebration. As much as we are sad that Jesus died on the cross, we know that that is not the end of the story. And therefore, we celebrate all that Christ has done for us. And so knowing all this, knowing the what, the when, the who, now the how, the where, I think it's time for us to approach the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And so that's what we want to do at this time.